So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to uh, Psalm chapter 73 with me. And if you don't have a Bible, electronic device, no worries. The words are going to come up on the screens in a little bit in, in a few moments. And so let me just tell you something. I, I woke up with a little bit of a stiff neck. So if I seem weird up here, uh, that's what it is. I am now at the age that I just wake up sore and I have no clue why. I mean, I can't tell you it happened on the golf course or the basketball or mountain biking or anything like that. I just wake up sore sometimes, and I don't even know why. And so, so if that catches you off guard, that's why. And so Psalm chapter 73, I've entitled this message, Just the Power of Worship. And maybe we're going to talk about something of the, of the benefits of worship that maybe, maybe you've never considered ever before. And so we're going to look at a psalm of a guy that was having like one of these moments in his Christian life. And maybe you've had that moment, or maybe you're in that moment now, or maybe in the future you're going to have a moment like this. But all of a sudden, this guy was having trouble reconciling his faith with what was going on. It was like he was coming to this place in his life, and he had this, he had this, this choice to make, take a Y in the road and leave the good path and go, go like on, on a different path. And so we're not talking about losing your salvation because, listen, once you accepted Christ, once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you cannot lose your salvation. But you can come to this place like Matthew 24 and other places tell us that you kind of... You kind of lose your faith. It's, it's, it's hard to trust. It's hard to maybe you no longer pull close to the church and some of those other things. And so this man was actually having one of those moments in his life. And he's having a little bit of a, of a meltdown, if you will. The Apostle Paul, it's interesting, and, and I just want to put this, this, this verse up here and because it's similar to this guy. But the end of the Apostle Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and, 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 and 7, Paul is at the end of his life, and he looks back over his life, and he, and he makes this statement. He says, he says, for I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Listen, we don't have time to go through all the, the Old Testament imagery of the different types of off- offerings and a living sacrifice and, and the things that he's talking about, but it's but a lifestyle. And he says, and the time for my departure is close. So, he, so now we know he's getting into the end of his life. And he makes four statements as he, as he looks back over his life. He makes four statements that he's kind of proud of. And he says, I just want you to know I fought a good fight. And so that's interesting. He uses the word good fight because as Christians, listen, there are some bad fights that we can get involved in. There are some good fights, and there are some bad fights. The good fights is when we, when we contend for the faith of the believers. The good fight is when we contend for kingdom of God principles. And so he says, you know what? I've stayed on course. I, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, the race that the Lord has given me. And then he makes this statement. He says, and I have kept the faith. Like, really, Paul? You, like, wrote most of the New Testament. If you just count words, not you just count words, two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote. Really, Paul? Why would you brag about that? Because there were some times Paul didn't know if it was worth it. There were some times that Paul got, and you can read those scriptures, and we could walk through his life and see that he went through some hurt, and he went through some difficulty. He went through some betrayal, and he's coming to the place, and he says, you know what? I look back on my life. I've kept the faith. Maybe you know some people. I know, I know some people. I know even some pastors or people in ministries that would say, I kept the faith until... I kept the faith until I was betrayed. I kept the faith until I was hurt. I kept the faith until that cancer diagnosis. I kept the faith until the relationship blew apart. I kept the faith until that divorce. I kept the faith until I lost my job. I kept the faith until there's a downturn in, a t- in, in, in the economy. And all of a sudden, I just walked away. I walked away from the local church. I no longer opened up the scriptures like, like I once did. I no longer like prayed like I once did. 
Yes, I'm still a believer, but I, I, just, I, just, walked, I just walked away. This man in Psalm 73, this is one of the most transparent. It's like gleaning in or looking over someone's shoulders. They're writing out in their, in their journal. So Psalm 73, we're going to walk through this together. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a long intro because you've got to understand the context of this, and then we're going to come back, and I'll give you, I'll give you three things that, that what worship should do for us. And so, so, here's a, here, so let's just walk through this first one. He says, God is indeed good to Israel. So he believes that God is good to everyone but him. He's not saying God is good to me. He's not saying anything like that. He said, hey, God's good to Israel. And he says, to the pure in heart, but as for me. So now all of a sudden you kind of see what he's doing. So, but as for me. My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. In other words, I almost went off the good path. I almost, I almost just betrayed everything I said I believe, the, the assembly of the believers, the worship, and all of those things. And he says, for, so this is his problem. This is, this is his moment. He says, for I envied the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So now then, all of a sudden, we know that this man's struggle is envy. What this man is dealing with, he's having trouble reconciling some things that is going on in life, and he's looking at some people. We'll learn later. He's looking at some people that, 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 that don't know God. fact is they're kind of in, in your face about there isn't a God. We may even say they're atheists or agnostic or something like that. He's looking at their lives, and he's saying, you know what? I, I wish. I wish I, had, I wish I had their job status. I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had their relationships. I wish I had their personality. In other words, he's saying, I wish I had their, their waistline, their hairline, their byline, or their bottom line. I worked hard on that. <laughs> it would be like you at the job site or at the office or in the community. Uh, where your, your greatest rival gets like this, this whopping promotion and loses 25 pounds, uh, looks great, marries an ex-supermodel turned neurosurgeon, and your only response is, good for you, praise God, I'm happy for you. And so what this guy's saying is when we don't worship, something happens. We don't, listen, we don't worship to get something out of it. We worship God because God is good. And so when you look at this, he, he's, he, he's struggling with this. And we, so we don't worship to make something happen. We worship because what God has done for us. And, and worship, when we truly engage in worship and just like not mouth the words and some of those other things or, or think about what we're going to get for at Walmart or to-do list or hope the Cowboys win or whatever. I'm probably the only one that does that occasionally. It exposes your heart. And it can expose your attitudes when, when we worship and when we engage in him, we, we grow in, in joy and we can be grateful for the things that God is doing. And we wouldn't just say that Jesus, God, for, for God so loved the world, we would say, for God so loved me. And we would understand that. And we would grow when we, when we worship and we worship correctly. We grow in confidence because we understand how, how big God is. I mean, we, we have surrendered spirits to, to him, and we understand that, like, nothing is impossible with God. And if you're in our Christmas Eve service, you, you know I took that, that phrase, for nothing is impossible with God. And in the Greek, it's just, really, it's just really poor language or poor grammar. But it really, if you do a word-for-word exact translation, it's just this. It's, it's knots are not impossible with God. Those, those things that you think God is not going to do, 
God is not going to answer that prayer. God is not going to take care of that situation. God is not going to work this out. God is not going to provide me. I'm telling you, in, by faith in what the Scripture says, those things are not impossible with him. But when, when, but when we don't, when we don't come into worship and we don't engage in worship, then if we're not careful, we just become cynical. And we become anxious about the future, and we can carry a, a, a lot of fear, and we can, we can develop a sense of entitlement. In some regards, this is man's struggle. He said, I, I ought to have what they have. They don't even claim to know God. It seems like they have the good life. I ought to have what they have. And when, when we have a sense of entitlement, you know what goes? Gratitude. I mean, gratitude, we no longer can be grateful for the things that, w- that we have. And so it just chokes out this gratitude. And when the, way in you, the way in which you and I know gratitude is being choked out is to where we become cynical and we become negative and we become judgmental towards other people. And, and then we can get discouraged so easy and defeated by setbacks. And, and, and those are all signs of like a non-worshipping mind and and so then we, we, we've already seen the start of it in, in Psalm 3, verse 73, verse 3. Again, he says, for I, env- I envied the arrogant. I saw prosperity of the wicked. And so let's just keep going because he just really exposes his heart. Verse 4, they have an easy time until they die. And their bodies are well fed. So remember, he's talking about the, the godless. He's talking about the wicked. He's talking about the agnostic, the atheist, the person that, that, that claims that there is no God. And he says, when I look at them, it's like they have no struggles. When I look at them, it's like they have no, I mean, fact is, when I look at them, they're, they're the ones, and their bodies are like sleek and, and sound, and they're like the beautiful ones, and, and they may be wicked, but guess what? They're the ones that end up on magazine co- covers. They're the ones that everybody looks up to and says, I wish I looked like them. I wish I had their, their lifestyle. I wish I had their relationships. I wish I had what they have. And he says, I'm just having trouble with this first five. He says, they are not, they are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. He says, not only that, they don't, they don't have illness. They don't have, they don't have the things that plague other people. I mean, they live long lives, and it seems like they vacation wherever they want to vacation. It seems like they have no financial problems. And, oh, they sin, and they sin boldly. Fact is, it's, it's on their, their Instagram feed and their Twitter feed and, and Facebook and everybody else. And it's like they are proud about it, and they are, they are living life in the face of God. And it seems like their, their careers are flourishing, their lives are flourishing. And it, it seems like when I see them on, like, those talk shows or, or their their, 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 their TikTok videos or their Instagram videos, it seems like, you know what, they have joy and they have happiness and everything's working out for them. And what he's saying is, I just don't understand this. I don't understand this. Verse 6, therefore, this is important, therefore, pride is like a necklace and violence covers them like a garment. And so in other words, what he's saying is, for them, they don't even know pride is wrong. For them, they don't even try to bury pride deep in their hearts. You know what? They flaunt it. They flaunt their pride and their arrogancy like most people flaunt jewelry and wear jewelry. And so he goes on, verse 7, their eyes bulge out from fatness. Their imaginations of the heart runs wild. They mock. They speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. And he says, you know what? They are, they are arrogant. And they think they've got life just like planned out. And they're opposed to God. But in this life, it seems like they're getting exactly what they want. And then you get to verse 10. I mean, he hasn't even hit bottom yet. And so you get to verse 10, and here's what he says. With therefore, his people, you know his people are? God's people, God's followers, Christians. Therefore, his people, 
turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. So you know what he's saying? God followers, Christians, that know what the Bible says, begin to worship them. Begin to want to be more like them and wish they have. And they're drinking in their words that they are the ones that know how to live. They can even take government and lift government up to like God-like status. To look to government to, to tell us when life begins, when we know when life begins. Life begins at conception. Fact is, if you poll 90, or it was just recently done, 97% of biologists were just polled. And they all said, 97% of them says, guess what? Life begins at conception, at blood flow. And so what he's saying, I'm having trouble with this. Because they're elevating like, like stars and they're ele elevating you know, athletes. And, and it's like they're almost godlike and they're worshiping and they're letting them tell them about human sexuality and, and when life begins and all of those other things. And he says, I just don't understand this. It, life seems to be turning out so well to them. God's people turns and like worships them and praises them, even though they're living life far away from him. They're the ones that we want to learn from. They're the ones that we buy their books and we listen to their talk shows. And, and it seems like nobody finds out any fault with them. And he says, worse yet, this group of people openly mock God. And then I go down to my church, what he's saying, and, and I see people that are sold out for Jesus Christ. Eagle scouts in the faith, following the teachings of Scripture. And these people are going through trials and problems and health issues and financial difficulties and family problems. And so now he's hit bottom. He says, does this even pay? Is there even a benefit for being a believer? Remember, Job asked that question, right? We walked through Job, and, and others have asked that question. Are there any benefits for being a Christian? I bet many of you, from time to time, if you're honest, not that you would be dishonest, but... Sometimes in church, it's hard for people to be honest. But maybe, just maybe, if you're honest, maybe you've had some struggles like this. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've had some struggles when you've run a business and you've, you've run your business with integrity, with no kickbacks and, 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 and no fudging of the books and cooking the books or anything like this. And you struggled in your business, but a competitor... A competitor was willing to give kickbacks and cook the books and other things. And your business is like struggling. It seems like their business is flourishing. Maybe it's happened to you in a career or profession where you were given an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. You're showing up on time, turning in accurate records, doing your very best, and yet you were working alongside someone that was not a person of integrity and doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. And you got passed over for a promotion, and they got promoted in your place. Maybe you've struggled with some of these same things that this guy is struggling with, verse 11 and 12. The wicked say, how can God know? So he's like, the wicked, they, they openly mock God. Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease, and they increase their, their wealth. And now look, this is what happens. I don't know if this has ever happened to you in worship, but all of a sudden some things start shifting in this guy's thinking. I mean, all of a sudden he sees his heart. And in verse 12, he said, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Then all of a sudden he gets real about himself. Verse 14, for I'm afflicted all day long and, and punished every morning. So he says, I, I don't know if it pays. 
I mean, all of a sudden, if, if he's not careful, he's going to have a story. I, I kept the faith until. I kept the faith until. People living on the wild side seem to be getting away with murder. And people who are living for God are having major problems. I go to church, I read my Bible, I serve, I tithe my salary, I avoid gross sin, and it seems like a struggle. Do you ever have thoughts like this? He realizes it's going to kill him, verse 15. He said, if I decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed my people. This is crazy. This is huge. This, is how, this helps us understand how important Christian community is in gathering and worship. He says, you know what? You know what's keeping me, me in the game? My community. The people that I go to church with, the people in my life group, the people that I pray with, the people that I serve with, if I was to go off the good path, who would serve in my place? I would be betraying them. I would be betraying my church. I would be betraying even their children. I mean, there's some people in my congregation that, like, look up to me. And so all of a sudden, this man is saying, you know what is keeping me in the game? Christian community. This is why this, what we do, we worship together and have relationship is so important. Fact is, on Christmas Eve, there is a man that, that, that came, and he'd been in our, he's been in our church, still in our church for a number of years. Over the last 18 months, because of COVID and some underlying health issues that he has, couple of surgeries, he walked up to me and says, hey, I got to let you know, I'm finally able to come back to church. And, and over these last 18 months and viewing services online and not being able to join with the body, he said, my faith has struggled. There was something that happened when I served and I built relationships with people. And that's what this man's saying. It was able to keep me in the game, verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. In other words, he's saying, I'm powerless to understand this. It doesn't make any sense. And so this man is hanging on with a spiritual like, like thread right now. And he's just hanging on. And on one hand, if he gives in to cynicism, he'll betray everything that has meaning, the relationships around him, the identity, uh, his relationship with God. And then on the other hand, the unfairness of life and his unhappiness is like driving him to like despair and cynicism and anger. And he's just walking down this road and he's trying to make this decision. And then all of a sudden, this man has this until moment. He has an until moment. Verse 17 is like a hinge. Verse 17 and verse 23. We'll look at both of those. But all of a sudden, he said, I, I, so let's just read it, verse 17. Until, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their destiny. I mean, what would have happened if that man hadn't attended church that day? And God spoke to him in a very dramatic way. And all of a sudden, he says, until I, I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. I understood there's things I can see and there's uh, some, some things I cannot see. And he practiced the discipline. He still showed up to church. He still worshiped as hard as it was. And he says, there's some things that I have understood. So I want to give you three things this, this morning about what true worship does when we truly engage in worship and why it's so important. The first thing is this. I am given a new perspective. When we engage in worship, I'm given a new, expect, a new perspective. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, where you've gone through a situation maybe in marriage or a relationship or maybe at the job or something where you had a parenting and you had a decision to make and you decided how you're going to make it or you're struggling with something and you'd already decided how you're going to handle it and then in worship, whether it's through a worship song or maybe a sermon that was preached, you said, you know what? I understand the attitude of my heart. I have some unforgiveness. I have some anger. I have a situation going on, and it, it, it's caused you to change how you would handle that situation. 
This is what's happening with this man, verse 17. He says, until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their, their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. Uh, they come to an end, swept away by terrors. And so he's like, I realized when I was worshiping, God, you gave me, I understand two principles, uh, the slippery place principle, the slippery path principle, and the final destination principle. The slippery place or the slippery play, uh, path principle is, is the best way I can understand. Back when I, I used to fly fish, and now we, we hike a lot, my wife and I, we, we, we hike a lot. And if you've ever hiked or fly fished, you know when you cross a mountain river, that, well, have you ever tried to cross a mountain river and jump from rock to rock? Well, you know that those slippery, green, moss-covered rocks, I mean, you know, he who walks on slippery walk, rocks will make a huge splash, right? I mean, you know that. I mean, that's why I like fly fishermen. I mean, we wear boots with, like, felt bottoms and, and like, metal studs in them. Why? For the rocks, to try to give us some, 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 some traction on that. And he's like, he's, like he's, he's realizing this. He says, because, you know, really and truly, the trouble in life, it's not the slow-moving water. When you cross a stream with slow-moving water, it doesn't matter what kind of shoes you have. You're going to be able to navigate it, but you know when problems happen is in the fast-moving water. The same is true in life. With the slow-moving water, you can navigate through it and maybe fairly well without God. But it's when life gets fast and there's challenges. And so he says, God, help me to understand. Do not envy people who walk on slippery rocks or slippery path because they are one step away from a huge splash. Don't walk. What he's saying, don't walk. On slippery rocks, get back onto the, the moral high ground, and then all of a sudden you realize the other principle of final destination. He said maybe the, maybe the biggest danger for that group of people is that they never get caught. Maybe, maybe they never get caught because every one of us, whether they realize it or not, we're like one step away, we're one breath away of being face-to-face -face with a holy and a righteous God. And on the final day, you'll have the final say. And fortunately for us as believers that God's blood, Jesus Christ's blood, covers our sins, and we don't have to look towards that day with any fear. But he said, when I entered the sanctuary of God, I, I remember that every human being is one step away from coming face to face with a holy and a righteous God. Can I tell you, that's why we're so committed to evangelism here. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas Eve service or service like this. We always give people an opportunity to accept Christ because, because of this slippery rock and final destination principle. Karen and I uh, have a, our, our youngest daughter, Amanda, moved to, uh, to Maine, and we were unhappy with that, and then we were really unhappy when we realized they were going to take our grandkids with them. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were able to make our first trip to Maine, which Maine's way too cold. I mean, you know it's cold when your Colorado jackets don't even work there. And, uh, I mean, it, when we left, it was, four, it was four degrees, and it was 25 to 30 degrees uh, wind chill. I'm like, their garage was 13 degrees. But anyway, I'm processing out way too much. So we went to visit them. Our flight, we got caught up in all the, the major stuff with flights, and so we got bumped, and they put us on another flight. And, you know, three hours later, we finally got on the flight that we wanted uh, to get back. But we had to make, we had to make four stops. We had to fly from Portland, Maine to D.C., from D.C. to Chicago, Chicago to Denver. 
And so it was a long, way of tra- a long day of travel. We get into Denver late. We get on this little, you know, 10-passenger vu- bus to go to the place where our, we left our truck. And so we're crammed in this bus. It's packed. And I'm sitting next to Karen got caught up in the mass of people. And I think she ended up in the luggage area of the bus. I don't know. She was in the back. And so, but I fought it. I fought it. And so I'm up. I'm up on the front row. And, and I'm with a young couple. Uh, I'm sitting next to the, the husband, the man. And it's his wife. And then their 10-month uh, baby boy. Their two-and-a-half-year-old was staying with their grandparents. And so this guy was really talkative, even though I was exhausted. And so, and so he's telling me his life story. He's like this account executive for Oracle. Um, he can live anywhere in the U.S. as long as he has an Internet connection. So he sold his house in Salt Lake City, made over $100,000 on the sale of that home. And so he asked the Google where's the cheapest place to live for the most house. He found out it was Missouri because who would want to live there? And so... Uh, and so he bought 11 acres on a lake, 6,700-square-foot house, and they were going to see the house that they purchased on the Internet. And so he's telling me, like, his life story. Then as we're getting close to the drop-off, he looks at me and says, Hey, by the way, I didn't even ask, what do you do for a living? And so that's, a, that's always a weird question when you're a pastor. It's weird responses. And I say, Hey, I happen to be a pastor. And so he got real, I mean, he got serious and got a little emotional. And he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. And he says, is this the end of the world? Everything that's going on, by this time, like, everybody's listening. (laughs) Everybody. I mean, they have inquiring minds, and they want to know. And I said, I said, buddy, you know what? I'm not paid to know if this is the end of the world. But what I do know is this. Everybody needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. And everybody needs to be in a Bible-believing church that opens the Scriptures, worships, and prays every week. Especially with what we may be about ready to walk through. And so that's my, that's my encouragement to you. He looked at me and says, thank you. He just said, thank you. And so when, when, we, when we remember when we remember this principle, see, this is, this is what happened to this this is what happened to this guy. I mean, he came to the place, and now all of a sudden he has a shift, and he, and he just says, he says, I, I saw those people that I envied, I realized they needed to be pitied. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't have forgiveness of sin. And all of a sudden it shifted, and so the second thing is this. Uh, when I engage in worship, I'm able to diagnose the condition of my heart. I always think of this story. I'll read the verse, and I'll tell you the story. Psalm 73, verse 20, it says, Like one walking, waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid. And I know some of you don't allow that word in your house, and I am so sorry. I just have to read it. And so, <laughs> and didn't understand, I was unthinking an animal towards you. So now all of a sudden he's getting honest about who he is. Remember, he was a little self-righteous. Why haven't you done this? And now he's like, I'm, I'm like an animal towards you, towards you. And so a number of years ago, we had some friends that lived out on the Mesa. And so they lived out on the Mesa. They had no fence. They had a pool, and they, they had no fence. They, had about, they lived on, an, I think, an, half an acre, and then around them was a lot of ranch and, and farmland. And so they had this yellow lab named Earl. I will never forget Earl. And so they moved out there, and Earl had like this strong impulse disorder control in his life. 
Earl liked to run. And Earl liked to run the river bottom. And Earl liked to bring some things back home as offerings and gifts. That he, you know, pieces of dead animals and all this other stuff. And so, but he liked to run. And so a couple of ranchers made a visit to, to, to our friend's home and says, hey, listen, uh, we don't like Earl. And Earl, you need to control Earl. He better quit running our cattle and he's, he's like, and our goats and everything like this. So we need you to control Earl. And so they did everything they knew to do. And so the, it just didn't work. And then one day a rancher came by their house and said, hey, if Earl ever runs my cattle again, I, I will end his life. I will shoot him uh, because this is ridiculous. So they went to Big R and they bought one of those underground electric fences. You know, you run the wire and you put the shock collar on the dog and they turned it, you know, they turned the voltage, kept turning it up and all of a sudden it's max and Earl did not care. <laughs> so we're over at the house and we're hanging out by the pool and, and they go, oh, oh, watch this. So Earl would, would run up and walk up slowly to the perimeter of the fence and so you know what happens with those coll collars in case you don't know. Uh, first, there's a warning buzzer that, you know, a beep that goes off to let the dog know one more start, start step, you get zapped. And so Earl got the beep. Earl backed up and got a running start, <laughs> jumps in midair. And you could see when he got the shock, it's like, like that. <laughs> he would hit the ground, roll, and keep going. At the end of the day, it's hilarious, but Earl came back. He had a front quarter of a deer that he wanted to offer to Karen as, a, as an offering, and she was having, like, none of it. She was having, like, none of it. And so, so this, is, this is what, this is what the, the psalmist is saying. I'm like Earl. I decided the pain was worth it. I was living outside of the boundaries of God. I was living outside of the boundaries of God. He says, I was like that animal. I was like that brute beast. I, was, I let my mind and my heart violate God's boundaries. You know what, Lord? I thought I was so righteous. And I couldn't even keep the 10th commandment. You know that cat commandment about coveting? I couldn't even do that. You know that simple command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, I couldn't even, I couldn't even, I couldn't even do that. I mean, I thought, listen, I thought I was so righteous. But you know what I learned? I'm like, I'm like Earl. I'm like that animal. I'm like a brute beast before you that I am determining the pain is like worth it. The last principle of worship that if you engage in worship is this. I'm able to experience truth again. I am able. Listen, remember, this man is at one of those moments. I have kept the faith until. Is he going to be able to say light, late in life, I kept the faith? It wasn't an until. I kept the faith. And so verse, verse 23, yet I am always with you. So here's the crazy thing. Something happened in worship. He is no longer talking at God. He is talking to God. Worship is a conversation with a holy and righteous and living God. To where you're able to communicate with him and he's able to communicate with you. Something shifts in this man's life. And he says, you know what? I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you, you take me up to glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is like the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far away from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, as for me, God's presence is my good. He went from saying God is good to Israel to God is good to me. You see, this shift is happening in his life. I have made the Lord my refuge so I can tell about all you do. So this is a wonderful truth. 
in church, worshiping with his Christian family, he remembers that I am not alone. Man, I, I said this on Christmas Eve, and, and, and I still just won't get over it. And God has done some miracles in this church this last year. And it's been a difficult, it's been a difficult two years for all of us, right? And God has done some miracles in this church. And it reminds me when I come and I worship with you and we're lifting hands and we're offering prayers and we're reading scripture, it reminds me, guess what? I am not alone. I am not alone. And sometimes in worship, I can look over and look at many of you worshiping, knowing what God did in your life, that prayer that he answered, that medical thing that he intervened in. And watch you worship. That's why verse 23 just like shifted everything for him. Yet I am always with you. Lord, they don't, the wicked, they don't have you. Lord, I am always with you. And not only you that, whether it's through a difficult season of life or a great season of life, you hold on to me. The reason you can't lose your salvation, he is the one that holds on to you. He is the one that holds on to you. And God, I am so sorry. I was like a brute beast before you. I didn't, I'd forgotten what I had. And he is so overwhelmed. He is so overwhelmed. He is now talking directly to him. There are some hurts and pains that I've gone through in ministry. And maybe there are some hurts and pains that you're going through in life that you had a Psalm 73 moment. And then all of a sudden you realized, yet, yet always have you. What would have happened if you had missed church that day when God spoke into your life? Whether you've had that moment in your life, in your past, or maybe, maybe you're in that moment now. And said, I'm just experienced. I'm just seeing some things that just don't seem fair. Maybe you would see God differently this morning. Maybe you need to accept him. Maybe you've just never come to that place. Do you just accept him, come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life? This would be the day for you to do that. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes?